Welcome to episode 49 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brannon here with Devin Dash. Hello, everyone. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, what we call or what we, we refer to inside Axiom as the REACH ecosystem. And this is a tool that we've been using for a few years now. And uh, Devin, what is REACH? REACH is a ecosystem, as Joey said, but it's a tool where, that we use. It's a psychometric profiling tool. Um, and that's a big fancy word that just means we want to under, it's a tool we use to understand how people in your business think, how they're wired. And there's really two main drivers, what they call dimensions, that are going to drive what or how people operate within your business. Uh, and th- those, we're going to get into those later, but just on the surface, those are the achieving dimensions and the relating dimension of an individual. So REACH is just a tool that, that measures that. It's been studied, you know, it's international tool. It's been studied, used by businesses all over the world. And it's a tool that we find helpful um, for, for many purposes beyond the, the telling us where people sit on a given profile, you know, where they sit in a profile. Uh, it actually provides us with a lot of insights and resources to help them grow um, and get better as, as individuals and leaders. Right, so a lot of people are familiar with other so-called psychometric profiling tools like the DISC assessment or Myers-Briggs or Enneagrams. Uh, and so this is you know, part of that universe. But as you said, one of the reasons we really like it is, is it uh, has the, um, it's part of an ecosystem, right? So we have the psychometric profiling tool, but we also have the ability to do culture surveys within the same kind of um, profiling skill set or, or tool set. We can do 360 reviews on employees. We can do professional development because all of those tools will develop what we call training needs analysis that can be done. So we have hung our hat on the REACH ecosystem because uh, we do have uh, more stuff that we can do after we know what's going on, right? So like you said, their their tagline, the... The insights to know and the resources to to grow. Yeah, and that's really the beautiful part piece of the REACH ecosystem is that it is... It's Myers-Briggs, DISC, Finders. Uh, there's, there's innumerable ones out there. Uh, there's, you know, if you want to know what your spirit animal is, there's a, <laughs> right. there's a psychometric profiling tool that lets you, categorizes you as you know, a bird. And, and those are all great and they're helpful um, because what they're really trying to get you to un- uncover is, is um, who you are. You know, and, and if you're very introspective, you may kind of already have a, a strong pulse of this is this is how I tick. This is I, I operate better in relationships. I operate better in large crowds versus small crowds or, or vice versa. And you, you probably have a pretty good understanding. But if you don't and maybe you've been you feel like you have some blind spots and you are maybe wondering, man, why am I struggling in this given area? These psychometric profiling tools, no matter what you, you use, are helpful in saying, oh, now it makes sense. Now I get why I always use this kind of these words. You know, I, I think of the Meyer, Myers-Briggs, one of the one of the great sort of heuristics of the Myers-Briggs is you're if you're you're the thinking or feeling oriented. And it was helpful for me because growing up, I was always very feeling oriented. And so I would say, oh, I feel like this or I feel like this. And and I'm actually I'm, I'm using the word feeling to describe what I guess qualitative data or quantitative data would hint at. But instead of thinking it through, I would feel it through. 
Um, and that's, you know, that's really helpful and, and just having that distinction. But uh, the, reach, the reach goes a step further and says, okay, based on your profile, here's some really strong, here's some areas where you're really strong. And here's some areas where you're, it, it's not your natural habit or na- it's not your natural inclination to operate in this way. And it provides you resources to grow those, I guess what you would call unnatural areas or unnatural strengths. If you yeah, can say that. And I think one of the things that uh, when people, well, one of the, the knocks we might have against psychometric profiles is people tend to view them as predeterminative of, of like what your job could be. Like, oh, your disc profile is this, uh, so you can't be a salesman. Your disc profile is this, so you're probably not going to be a good attorney. And what we've always appreciated about Reach is that. The profile is based on a set of skills. And so with, as with any skill, like some people are going to have natural bents or natural talents that make those skills easier to develop, but we all have an ability to further develop and refine skill sets, and that's where the, the growing part starts. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to, to add to that, you know, that because of the extensive database that the REACH ecosystem has, I mean, they, they have resources that show, oh, this sales guy who you think is a, is a high E, I guess, on a Myers-Briggs test and extreme extrovert and very charismatic and very winsome with people. You think, oh, you have to be a coach, you know, in the REACH ecosystem, that's a coach. You think you got to be a coach to be a great salesman? Nope. They have salesmen who are advisors, who are drivers and who are counselors. Mm-hmm. So they sit across the board. And what you then, you know, what you're hinting at there is, well, what what makes a good salesman a good salesman? What's their ability to step out of their comfort zone, step out of the natural way that they operate, and and be charismatic or be be winsome with people or Mm -hmm. develop the the report that they might need to to close a sale. Right. Some people may look at may make it look easy, and some it's not so easy. But we we've seen it in practice where somebody who who is just having to work awfully hard is outpacing the person who seems like they're backstroking it and it's not that difficult. So it's a, it's a desire to work on skill sets. So when we talk about the REACH uh, ecosystem from 10,000 feet or 20,000 feet, there are these two dimensions. And this is one of the reasons that I love it because it's super simple for me to wrap my head around. And, and so talk about the two dimensions. And as we describe these, there's like one's a horizontal axis and one's a vertical axis. And like all good consulting tools, it results in a two-by-two two matrix. Like we love those, right? So, Absolutely. So describe the two axes there uh, that make up that two-by-two two matrix. Yeah, so these are the things that don't change. So these are the constructs that the REACH gurus set. They don't change. Everybody has these two constructs, and, and it's all of the data that, that goes into making this a valid tool is based on these two constructs. And uh, so for, you, for those people who are wondering if this is all accurate and valid, I'm going to say the simple, simplistic way to answer that question is absolutely. But the two axes that Joe is referring to, um, just to give you guys a little bit of visualization of what this two-by-two two is going to look like, the horizontal axis is what they call the achieving dimension. So the achieving dimension, in very simple definition, is your orientation towards thinking and acting as you pursue goals. Now, I want to want to just clarify there again. It's it's does this person approach goals step by step, or does this person jump in with both feet and learn how to swim? Because one, they're, they're, they're both swimming, they're both getting in the pool, but one is entering by the steps, if, you, if we could use that analogy, mm-hmm. 
and the other one is getting in, you know, standing on the diving board and just cannonball straight in the water. Mm-hmm. Right? They're both swimming. They're both achieving goals. It's not that one person is less likely to, to achieve goals or one person is, is a more of a go-getter than the other. It's that, no, they just approach goals differently. So that, that's the horizontal axis. And, and if you have a, if you put it on a scale, you hate to use this language because one is not better than the other. It's just if the center line is zero, the mm-hmm. far left is per, people who are more measured, who are more thinking oriented, who are going to get into the pool by the steps. Mm-hmm. And then on the right hand side, you have people who are, are much more just going to jump in acting oriented. They, uh, they see the steps. They understand why they're there. It just might take too long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, they, they know that the steps are there for, because somebody thought it through, right. but they know they need to be in the pool, right. and that's that's kind of how they, they approach it. Right. So th- that's the the horizontal axis is the achieving dimension. So on the left-hand side, we've got the people who are, who are more maybe methodical, more thinking. And on the right-hand side, we've got the people who are diving with both feet, um, I I know there are details in there, but I kind of feel like this is where we need to go, given everything else I know, and I'm just going to jump in. And so, and so that's the horizontal axis. Now, what's on the vertical axis? Yeah, the vertical axis is the relating dimension, and or, or we would say the relating style, because the language is important. You can they're interchangeable in some respects, but uh, it would be more more correct to say the relating style, and that's because. Or that style on the bottom, so on the bottom of that scale, I guess, because it's the vertical axis, mm-hmm. these are people who are much more guarded. Now, notice the language there. When, when you think of someone who is guarded, uh, they, they're, they're kind of closed off, right? They're, they may be, it may be preferable for them to, to work in a cubicle with nobody else around mm-hmm. uh, or in an office with the door closed. Uh, they just they just tend to keep to themselves. That's not good or bad. That's just it's just different. It's different from me, right? right. It's very normal to them. So the bottom end of the scale, you have individuals who are more guarded in their relationships and in, in their sharing of emotions. And then on the top of the scale, you have individuals who are much more expressive. So me, I'm I'm a coach. I'm almost a thoroughbred coach. I love people. If I have the choice between, actually, a funny story. I, I worked my first job. I was a at Publix, and I was a cashier. Well, I was invited to go work in the bakery because they were shorthanded, and I was invited to go work in the bakery. So I get up for this week of, because of the individual who's on vacation worked in the mornings, and I'm baking cookies, and the other bakers around, and it's just great. We're all chatting. We're there before the customers are in the store. So it's just a lot of fun getting the bakery prepped, getting the smells out so that when the customers walk in, they just gravitate to the bakery. Well, I liked it so much, I said, man, I'll stay in bakery forever. And then the individual on who was on vacation came back and as opposed to coming in at 5.30 in the morning, I was now coming in at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and doing the closing shift. And if you've ever been by the bakery at Publix at 2 o'clock onward in the afternoon, you'll notice that they're kind of slim pickings when it comes to who's standing behind the counter. And so I went from this world where I was around other people working for this common goal of, of baked goods 
and to working by myself in the evenings, closing down the bakery, mopping the floors. <laughs> so I started to go crazy because it was for, for a person who's more guarded, who can is comfortable working methodically and doing things by themselves. That was great. Right. For me, I, I, I literally was talking to myself. It was, it was, I went crazy. So a little aside there, but the idea again is the relating dimension and the relating style is essentially a, an individual's measure. Are they more guarded or are they more expressive? And it's, it, it strikes me that it's a little bit more nuanced than introvert, extrovert, because I can think of some people that we've, you know, we've done these psychometric profiles on who are coaches, meaning they are kind of top right quadrant. If we divide this two by two matrix, this, this, these two dimensions into a two by two matrix, and we got two quadrants on the bottom and two quadrants on the top, they're in that top right quadrant, which we would call coaches, where they have a high achievement drive and they also have a high relational drive. But when you talk to them, they're like, no, I'm an introvert. Yep. And it's like, well, I get that you're an introvert, but when we look at how you pursue life, how you pursue, you know, in our context, your day job, it's very important that you do this alongside other people. It's okay not to be the life of the party. It's not that you necessarily get all of your energy uh, from being with other people. Like, you know, extroverts are kind of, are known that that's how they're kind of characterized and by the same token like we could have somebody who's in one of those bottom quadrants and they are the life of the party but when it comes to the work that they do it's like shut up and leave me alone like we'll, we'll go hang out after work or we'll i'll catch you at the water cooler so it it doesn't i i would uh, caution like because when we we talk about guarded versus expressive people go into this introvert extrovert and it's a little bit more complicated than that and we're going to get into that like what are the things so let's go there so if we talk about uh you know reach in order to be able to put somebody on this two by two matrix and the the quadrants if we started at the bottom right hand quadrant those would be our drivers so they're high achievement drive but fairly guarded uh that's where i sit uh, and then to the left of that, we have advisors, so guarded and um, a more thinking orientation, more methodical orientation as opposed to jumping in with both feet. And in the top left, we have our counselors who are um, you know, more methodical, more thinking oriented, but also uh, highly relational. Yeah, the, the counselor is one of the most explicitly defined profiles, and it makes sense. If you think of somebody who's very relational, they but is it you know they're a counselor they're always talking on one-on-one conversations we're one-on-two conversations and you might recognize your counselors or people who are really strong in their counseling competencies because they'll remember the small details that just make you feel warm and fuzzy inside they're the people we like to be around they're nurturing right they they're very they're comforting they're very um nurturing in in their how they may handle our feelings and our, our thoughts and maybe our frustrations they normally very hospitable and welcoming so so the counselors are pretty easy to identify because they you know everybody i guess unless you have you think of a counselor in a negative connotation like a psych you know which is is (laughs) generally you know pejorative use of the word but uh, most counselors we identify pretty easily and then the last group will be our coaches who are high achievement drive 
but also highly relational. And coach is a very kind of apt description because a coach, um, you know, is relying on the efforts of the players to get to wherever they're going. They they recognize in that expressive relational drive that I'm going to be doing this with other people. But they also like a coach is not happy unless there's a scoreboard out there somewhere telling them whether they're they really are in the deep end and they really are you know swimming well you know so so let's talk about when reach uh it basically gives you a score gives you a relational score and gives you an achievement score uh so that it can plot where you stand on these two axes there are some factors that go into each one of those quote-unquote scores so let's talk about we i guess we call these dimensions yeah, that, and I was going to say that exactly. If you're keeping score at home, uh, we've been using these terms synonymously, but the, the distinction is these are dimensions. So the style is the axis, okay. and the dimensions are the individual variables that make up your style. So we have a relational style, if you will, and an achievement style, if I'm Correct. kind of saying this in the And then the terms. dimensions are the... the I guess the little blocks that make up that whole overall style. Okay, and so there's basically, as I understand it, five blocks, five mm-hmm. dimensions for each one of those styles. So which one do you want to start with? Which which group should we start with? Let's let's start with the relating style. Okay, so relating style. So we're talking about what is it that makes you one of those people who's more guarded or one of those people who's more expressive, one of those people who is pursuing things kind of on your own or one of those people who's really kind of fulfilled when they're pursuing things alongside other people. So what goes into that? Yeah, so I guess before we get into that, I'm not sure if this is going to fit here, but I I think it's important uh, to describe is why do these dimensions, you mentioned earlier why somebody might be a coach but is definitely more guarded in their approach. And that's because as you look at these dimensions, because they're a sliding scale, some, are, some dimensions are weighted more heavily. So if you are, we'll, we'll, we'll use the first one, affiliation, and we'll go into it more in, in a second. But if you're more independent, that is the number one weighted dimension for relating style. So if you're pretty independent and you like to work alone and you you, you, can, you prefer to work independently, you don't really like collaboration, or you avoid collaboration, you are probably going to fall more on the bottom half of the two-by-two two, right. um, because it's, it's weighted. Now, that's not, ex- that's not exactly correct, again, because there's four of the dimensions that play into your relating style. But affiliation is one that you would say is a pretty strong weight towards, okay, if I'm social then I'm definitely probably more of a counselor or a coach. Right. So there's five dimensions for each style. Some of them are way more important or way more heavily weighted than the others in terms of, of, of determining where you fall in the style. Yeah. So what's the, what's the number one? Yeah, affiliation. So affiliation on, the, the I guess, the two descriptors, uh, and I, I'm going to use word language that's not totally accurate again because it's hard to describe brain chemistry, right? Affiliation is, is how you, how you're wired. It's, it's your neurons and, and your dopamine levels and your serotonin levels and how they, how they function when you go into a crowd or, or when you work or when you're at a party or when you're at home. Um, and so you'll, we'll use words like, well, on the low left half of the scale, the lower end of the scale, then that's the independent. And that doesn't mean that like you're, you're bottom 1%, like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you are the, the people who live under rocks. That's not what we mean here when we say scales. It's just a way of describing the, the range in which 
on the far side, I guess if you said the center line is zero or the center line is someone who's both equally social and independent, we're trying to give the idea that there's right. there's a scale here. Right. So you're going out of your way to make sure that if somebody has, quote-unquote, a low score, that's not perceived as being a bad thing. Exactly. It's, just a, it's on a continuum. This is where we would put you on the continuum. The continuum itself is not good or bad. And like we said before, it's not predetermined of, of what you can or can't do. Exactly. It's just, being, it's just a descriptor of this is the way you are. So affiliation is the dimension and on the left hand side of that like what would give you the quote unquote low affiliation score would be a high degree of independence exactly and on the right hand side would be social social so i'm either independent or i'm social and and so we run into situations all the time where you know it's fairly obvious and this person's very independent um and we run into situations where it's fairly obvious this person's social. And back to the idea that this affiliation dimension is the most heavily weighted in determining what your relational style is. That's one that's kind of easy. Like you might say, well, I didn't need a test to tell me that. Right? Exactly. And exactly. So now we get into like the second one and we start to get a little bit more nuanced. And it, and these are things where we go, wow, like you're you're highly social which I get, that's going to make you one of those people that's highly relational, but this one doesn't make sense because you're low on this side. And that, that's where it gets really interesting in understanding the, um, the individual uh, characteristics that make somebody up. So I'm going to, before we get to the second one, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a step back and talk about something that we talked about before we actually started recording, which is when we use this stuff in practice and we look at the two by two matrix, like from the 10,000 foot view, mm-hmm. we can have everybody in a company go through and do a reach profile. And this is what we do with clients. And we will come up with little pinpricks on this two by two matrix with names next to them. So we'll know Joey's a driver and Devin's a counselor and Cameron's a counselor, but I'm a coach. Devin's a coach, but Devin is like top right hand corner and Cameron's somewhere in the middle and Carrie's an advisor. And that's very helpful for us kind of understanding, well, here's the makeup of our team. And when we have a leadership team meeting, it's interesting how the different people relate. And all this, and it, all these light bulbs start to go off, right? And we've done, you've done workshops for clients where you, you do exactly this. You put everybody up on the board and you're like, guess who's here? Guess who's here? Yep. And we play a little game with it. And that's hugely helpful in just kind of getting the broad context. But when we as leaders are facing challenges with individuals, the stuff that we're getting into now is hugely helpful in understanding how are we going to meet this particular challenge with, how are we going to lead this person well? And this is where, as a, I mean, we're eminently practical. All this stuff is great and it's fascinating and learning is a core value of us, of ours, and we want to be learning a lot of stuff, but we use this stuff every single day. Yep. And these are, the, these are where we use uh, the dimensions in individual conversations. So I just want to stop and say, as we get into affiliation, yeah, very helpful to understand so-and-so is independent, so-and-so is social. What's the next dimension that we're going to be talking about? Well, can we stay there for just sure. one more second? Because I think what you're getting at is, is practical workplace application for Mm-hmm. Right, and we are in probably one of the most unprecedented times of our century. Right, COVID, and probably by the time that this comes out, it, the recording is it's going to be hopefully passed, and, and, and things will start to be on the upward trend or downward trend, I guess, if you're looking at it in terms of total cases. But 
nevertheless, I, I, I digress. We are in a time where a lot of businesses are either making the um, just intentional decision to move remotely or being forced to work remotely. Mm, good point. Right. And you might see a total paradigm shift in your workforce. Your star players may start to decline in their productivity. Their sales numbers may go down. Yeah, sure, that could be a a lot of reasons. It could be the economic just tightening. It could just be um, people handling the uncertainty in a a particular way. But if we look at it, let's just say all, all things equal, we're looking at the individual's affiliation dimension you're forcing an individual, let's say, they're social. Well, a person who loved coming into the office every day and rubbing shoulders and shaking hands and, and sharing stories and, and telling a joke to, to get the team rallied together on the, you know, of one mind during that day is now waking up, maybe talking to their dog, talking to their <laughs> wife, right, right. and then hopping on their computer and expected to deliver the same sort of productivity, the same sort of results that and, they were in the office. And expected to have the same level of fulfillment individually that they had Absolutely. a year ago when they did have all those things that, that were really important to them and how they pursued work. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so in a practical sense, if you're looking at your workforce, this would be something that this would be a dimension that you could, you know, knowing uh, where this individual sits on this dimension is super helpful in saying, okay, is their work environment fitting this dimension right right and so we'll use we use the guy who's really social and now there are a girl who's social and is forced to work from home let's talk about the advisor right let's talk about the i'm going to use the stereotype because most i don't know I, I see this more often in practice but the advisors tend to be your cpas or your bookkeepers right mm-hmm. and and for for great reason right we want a person who's going to be very detail oriented is, is very careful to approach the task in, in what they believe is the correct method. They use the same method every time. They're not jumping into financials with a new you know, idea every right. time, right. which is, we're thankful for. This person is told to go work from home, and they're ecstatic. Right. Their productivity goes through the roof. Right, because they got nobody leaning on their doorpost anymore saying, mm-hmm. hey, uh, how, how, can you do this for me? Hey, let's talk about this. How are you doing? And, and they just want to... In, in some respects, they just want to get the work done. They really appreciate that. Now, that doesn't mean they're not social in, in every contact. That doesn't mean they don't like people. They're not throwing their hands up. and you know, They don't have the, the do not trespass sign on their door. Right. It just means what they're getting, when they're getting, when they're a work context or, you know, I guess we're talking a lot about the work context here. They prefer the uninterrupted head down time of, okay, I get to, to do my work and do it the same way that I always do it every time. So they're ecstatic that they're at home, and, and they, they manage the distractions. Well, now the distractions are managed for them. Right. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. So 
moving on to the, the second dimension of the relating style uh, is consideration. And on the one end, uh, so I guess on, on the, the lower score, we would say this is a person who's very objective. Um, and that, that objectivity is described as how do they recognize the feelings and interests of others? So are they hearing you talk about how your boyfriend just broke up with you? And are they going, well, yeah, because this, 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 and this. Or are they putting, maybe, maybe they're saying that, are they putting that aside and going, oh my goodness, I know exactly what that feels like. I, I'm so sorry. You must be devastated. And just handling the emotions with a much more nurturing response. So on the one side of consideration, I guess you would say the low score is someone who's very objective. It's like, well, yeah, I get it. These are why. And the other person is more nurturing. On the top end of the score would be nurturing. And that's, again, the best way to describe it would be somebody comes into the office. Um, let's just use a really out-of-this-world scenario, maybe, maybe a little bit of hyperbole. Somebody comes in the office and, and says, yeah, you know, oh, my, my dog died, and, and it's really sad, right? That's a, that's a really hard moment for a lot of people. It's a family pet. And the boss goes, hey, uh, are you going to hit that deadline? <laughs> so they hear what you said. That's not that they didn't hear what you said, right. but they're approaching it from an objective standpoint, which is like, okay, yeah, that's sad, but that's, that's really separate from what we're doing here. Right. And it, they evaluate it very, you know, I guess you could say sterile. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we could caricature it and, and use hyperbole. I think one of the things that where this, this um, creates problems in business is where the dog dies, right? And the boss does, they, they do care that the dog died, right? They care for you as an individual, um, but they're, they're also at the same time doing the mental math of, okay, like you're probably going to need some time. Uh, you, you, you're probably going to be, you were out yesterday, you know, yesterday afternoon. You're probably going to be a little bit slower this morning. And that, you know, are you going to meet the deadline? Um, and the, the question behind that or the, the thought behind that might be, uh, if you tell me that you're not going to be able to hit the deadline, that's okay. I'll go to bat for you and I'll go move the deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'll get, I want to know, do I need to get somebody else in here to help you? But because it's not nurturing, right, and it, and it, it comes across, it's interpreted, misinterpreted, and somebody's feelings get hurt, and now we've got issues, you know. Right. So uh, that's where, like, uh, we, you know, we've sat with people, we've sat with managers who are having issues with, with some of their people, and I've watched you walk them through and be like, well, you got to understand, like, this person, maybe it's on a particular dimension like this, you're like, they're just not very nurturing. I know that, and again, like, this is one of, this is the, one of the, sec- the second dimension in the relational style. Mm-hmm. And so we might be looking at somebody who is up there in, in the style side of a coach or a counselor. And they see that on the big two-by-two two matrix. The, the leader sees that on the two-by-two two matrix and goes, well, like, they're highly relational. Why are they being such jackass in this situation? You're like, well, they are very high on the affiliation, and that's very heavily weighted. But they also, it's not, not as simple as just being black and white. They're not going to score off the charts in every relational dimension. On this particular one, they're also very objective. Mm-hmm. And you got to understand that. And people go, oh, I get it. And they start to, you know, one of the biggest things that we can do for one another, I'm going to go on off script for a second, 
is be able to grant goodwill in as many Absolutely. situations as possible, right? So assume the best rather than the worst and, and try to give somebody goodwill and, and, and acknowledge hopefully good intent. And that's what tools like this allow you to do. They allow you to have a deeper understanding of the person so it's easier for us to wrap our head around differences and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume the best in this situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so what's our third dimension on the relational style? Our third dimension is openness. Okay, and this is the dimension that describes your interest in sharing personal information with others. So it's, it's third on the list. So it's, a, it's not as heavily weighted as consideration and affiliation. But it's still one. It's still the top three, right? And so, I guess if if I'm I've, I've done this before, where I'm having conversations with people at my gym, or just you know, conversation and networking, and I'll, I'll ask open questions that try to get at is this person more private, more more open? Are they are they responding to this question? I'm I'm getting pretty deep. Are they are they more guarded? Are they they sidestepping the the question and answering in a very you know sort of high level sort of way. And, and I get to understand, okay, this person may be more of an advisor or driver. This person's probably more of coach counselor. And that, I love that. I just, to me, it's so fun. But uh, yeah, so openness is, are you, are you going to share personal information? Right. And that's heavily, this question, when, when the psychometric profile, when the test actually starts to get at these questions, where your headspace is at, may determine where, you know, can determine where you place on the scale. It's really, re- it's reliable. But we, we have had people will, will openly say, oh, you know, wow, when I was answering this at work, I, I'm pretty private. But with my family and friends, I'm, I'm really open, mm-hmm. right? Well, okay, but that's why it's not the one dimension that is determining where you place and it's not determining your profile overall, right? Yeah. It's, so, it's interesting because uh, I, I saw this or heard this play out in practice with one of our colleagues who was having a one-on-one meeting with a client. And it's in there kind of the, the objective of the meeting was to start building more of a coaching relationship. So there's the stuff that we're doing with the team, which is kind of run according to the process. And then there's the stuff we do with the leaders that's more, um, you know, it's, it's building relationships and coaching them along and making sure that they're effective running their team. And, and we knew because this person had done the reach profile, they scored very, very low on the, the openness. So what's the one end? Yeah, so on the low low score would be private. Private. And the other one would be open. Open. So this particular individual was pretty much as far left as you could get toward the private aspect. Yeah, we and say people are an open book. This person was like the back page. Right, right. So, uh, so our colleague was saying, you know, he knew this, and he was trying to understand a little bit of this person's story, and it basically went nowhere. Like it was like a, a 90 second conversation flying at a very high level and not getting into any of his like real story or background. And so our guy was, you know, was like, well, um, you know, let me just share my story. Right. And so he got really open and honest about some of the challenges that he had experienced in his life. And there's a kind of some similarities in age here and some similarities in kind of uh, where they're at in stage of life. And, and he just he was very open and very transparent and, and to some extent vulnerable. You, you can, yeah. This kind of entails a level of vulnerability. And his thinking was, you know, maybe over time, like this vulnerability and this openness will will lead to this person sharing more information. And what actually happened is after the you know ten or fifteen minutes of, of being very open, 
the client then said, you know, I really appreciate it. Can we go back? There's more of what has happened in my life that I kind of like to share hearing what you just said. That's great. And so, you know, we, like, like we've been saying all along, just because you score private doesn't mean that you can't or you don't want to or it's not important for you to be open. Mm-hmm. It just means that that privacy is home base for you. Yeah. And it's it you recognize instances where you don't want to be private or you recognize instances where you 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 need to be more open and you can respond to those. Uh, but it, it can be just as simple as for us, like for those of us who who uh, use the tool a lot and you know kind of know where we sit on the things, even just knowing where you're at can push it can push you to be more open and the other interesting thing i'll say about this one in particular is that i'm a driver which means that i score lower on the relational side of things but if you look at my openness score it's pretty much as far open as you can get i am an open book and why is that i don't know that's just the way god made me you know that's the the my experiences or, or my life up to this point for whatever reason i'm more comfortable being open but it doesn't mean that i have a high relational drive because i don't yeah. Or, a high, or a high relational style. That's not my style, but it, you know, we're we're more nuanced than just where we sit on a two by two axis. Yeah, and that's and that's. I was I was literally thinking the same thing. Like we're we're interesting creatures, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Like you know. So I'm I'm kind of the other end of the scale. So I am very open. I'm an open book. And what I find is, I guess when you, I, I say we're interesting creatures, it's more nuanced because. Like we're not just dealing with how we're wired. We're dealing with all of the norms that are the things that society and culture tell us are normal, right? So you get into a work environment and maybe somebody is, is way more private. Like the workplace is a formal environment. Like this is where I come to get business done and they need somebody to be open with them. They need that break in formality, that break in the norm to go, wait, like I'm, I'm not just a cog in a machine or inside this business like oh i can be human here too and so you're 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 competing with all that when you're looking at these tests and looking at these scores and and walking people through this dimension and getting different responses and going oh yeah understanding things about themselves understanding how it affects their work um so it's it's really it's really unique because you're you're getting in now into to human i mean you're in human psychology right and there's we, it's something we still don't fully understand. Right. And that's, you know, our work is all about planning, execution. And as soon as you get the execution, you get the people, and it gets messy real quick, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's all part of it. So we, we've got... Affiliation. A few more, a couple more. And then we're, what I'm thinking we're going to do is this is going to be part one. <laughs> and we're going to come back for part two and talk about the achievement style. But, so we got two more dimensions on the relational. Yep. So quick recap, we did affiliation, we've hit consideration, we just did openness, and now we're doing status motivation. So the next dimension, this is number four, is status motivation. And this simply describes how we relate to others while we accomplish goals. Um, So on the the low end of the score, you have people who are very competitive. So I I would say my brother-in-law is a tennis player. Tennis is a very individual competitive sport. You're not you're not working alongside your team. You're not. You're working towards a, a trophy. You're still working towards a goal, but that trophy is. You're the only one hoisting it up. There's not a team behind you who gets to share. I love hockey, so there's not a team behind you who gets to take turns lifting up the cup. 
you know, you're lifting the trophy yourself. And so it's a very, it's a very competitive sport. It's very individual um, pursuit of goals. On the top end of the scale, you have individuals who are contented. And they thrive in settings where individual or teams are rewarded for their performance. So co- cooperative efforts, team rewards, um, that's, that's where individuals are go- who are more contented are going to, to find fulfillment, satisfaction. That's, that's just kind of how they tick. They like the team winning. They don't have to get the limelight. They just like the fact that everybody gets to enjoy this, this party, this atmosphere, this, this relief, this celebration. Right. So competitive versus contented, um, you know, I'm, I definitely go more toward the competitive bent, uh, and I'm more of a driver. You know, I'm, I'm kind of lower on that score, and I'm lower in my, you know, aggregate relational style score, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets in my way, right? I mean, it, it's funny, like, it, it benefits me in some ways. It, it's a great benefit when, um, you know, we're pursuing... Um, goals and targets you know I'm my own worst enemy I mean in the sense of like I don't need I don't necessarily because I'm very competitive I don't even need somebody else to compete against other than myself you know or the standard that I've set but I also love the gym where I work out because everything is scored everybody at the end of the workout I know where everybody else finished I know where I finished and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to beat somebody like that's just but when, when I sit down to have daddy time with my kids, you know, winning the Scrabble game is, I, you know, I might win. Part of me wants to gloat, you right. know, and that's not necessarily helpful. It also gets in my way when um, that, that competitive piece, you know, it, it can really impinge on relationships. Sure. If I'm thinking about what's my goal for this relationship? I want to accomplish something in this relationship. Then I'm, I may not be considering the other person as much as I'm considering my own performance and, you know, being a good dad, husband, boss, right. friend, that kind of thing. And, and the, the picture that, I mean, the scenario that we see more often than not, because we're in these meetings once a month or more than once a month with some of our leadership teams is you consider the meeting room, right? Everybody there in the business is there for, in large part with the vision to help the business achieve where it wants to go, help the business owner achieve where he wants to take the organization. And they have skills and talents and abilities that, that they bring to the table that are required on that team. But we get into a boardroom and you have a competitive individual who thinks this direction is the way that we should go. And then you have another competitive individual who thinks this is the direction that we should go. Now, they're all there for the company, but you might get some conflict and you might get some heated exchange because maybe they're, mo- they're both relational or they're both guarded for whatever re- the, the fact is they're both very competitive. Mm-hmm. And the other individuals in the room are not bystanders. Like they're hearing the conversation. They're probably thinking through what, what individual A is saying, what individual B is saying. But at the end of the day, they just want to reach the best decision for the team. Like they want to do whatever is going to result in the team winning. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you'll see different dynamics at play. If you have a really contented team, the thing you have to be careful of is groupthink. Right, right. Like, oh, I like that idea, but I like that idea too. And nobody really reaches a decision, and we're just we're making everybody feel good because everybody likes what everybody else is saying. Right. So, so having the dynamic, having the both parties in the room or people from both styles in the room is really helpful because the competitive individual is going to say, no, this is the way to get there. And then really contented individuals 
um, may they, they can disagree with that. But if let's just say in a perfect scenario, then you start to get that. How can we make that happen? Mm-hmm. This is the goal. This is the achievement that we were desiring. And we want the business owner to win. How can we get there? Let's let's make sure that this is a team effort. And, and how can we all win in this? Um, and so you'll you'll see those dynamics at play in the meeting room all the time. Yeah. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening and now back to the episode. So where do we wind up on the fifth dimension? What's the last one of these for relational style? Yeah, that's self-protection. Interesting. So what are the two ends of the spectrum on self-protection? Yeah, so let me, de- let me kind of describe it first. It, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but it's the dimension that describes how we tend to view others' intentions. So you mentioned earlier, you know, having some sort of goodwill towards other people. Right. There are some people who fall on the lower end of the scale that are skeptical. Okay. So that is a person who is, who, who you get in to a conversation with them and they're questioning your reliability, they're questioning your intentions and they're really highly inclined to scrutinize things more carefully. On the top end of the spectrum, I guess you would say the, the higher score would be people who are more trusting. So we, to, to really use a, a, an old anecdote, you have the, I don't trust anybody until they give me a reason to trust them on the one scale, very skeptical. And on the top end, you have, I trust everybody until they give me a reason not to. Right. That's, that's, who, that's the, the dimension that you're dealing with here. So, I, I, I mean, I've dealt with this a lot. I actually, you know, I've, I've done coaching sessions with individual leadership team members. And in, in, in the initial engagement, I have the luxury of having these, these, this information in front of me. And I've gone into it and gone, hey, I see you're more skeptical. And this is the first time we're meeting and getting together. So, my, I'm just going to be straight up. I'm going to be straight up with you, and I'm going to. This is it. This is the truth. I don't have anything else to hang my hat on. I just want you to know that, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad, whether it's whether it's hey, you have some you have some leadership skills that you need to develop, and that's why we're having this conversation, right? Or it's hey, we are really excited about helping you develop as a leader, and and figure out how we can do that. And this is this is the context that that happens in. They, they can either believe me or not, right? But yeah. just being up front with the skeptic and being truthful, we should always be truthful, right? right. But more so with the skeptic, especially, I, th- I think personally, that you get more credibility with a skeptic if you tell them the hard information, right. that they're wa- maybe wondering if you are already thinking. Right. Um, so, and then people who are more trusting, I, I guess that's, we, we know those people, right? I, I'm trying to think of, I, I am one of those people. I, yeah. I love, 
I tend to, to just view things in a positive light and I, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I know my story. I know who I am. I know where I've come from. Right? So, yeah. So one of the things when we talk about proficiency for a second or, the, you know, going back to this idea that none of these should be predetermined of what somebody can or can't do in terms of a job role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one, one of the things that we often see in companies is people will put people in, uh, bosses, companies will put people in roles based primarily around personality mm-hmm. rather than skill set. So, like, we, we see this where, um, you know, we've seen somebody who's, like, been bounced around from position to position to position because, like, we're trying to find something that this person's good at, right? Yeah. Or we, we hire them. And the, the initial thinking is they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we find out they're not that good at X, Y, and Z, so we change the job, job description so they do T, X, and W, right? And we, the, the point I want to make, it goes back to a story where we, I had a client one time whose accountant was responsible, the, like the chief bookkeeper, controller person, was responsible for approving the credit applications for new customers who wanted to buy on credit. So somebody's going to put in a $100,000 order for product. Are we going to require them to pay with a credit card or COD, or do we feel good enough about them that we will just invoice them with you know, net 10 or net 30 terms, right? And so the problem that we ran into is that our accountant was super trusting, like mm. every, we could give credit to everybody. They're all gonna. I know they're gonna pay. I talked to him on the phone. She was super nice. Talked to the owner's wife, and yeah, we're, we're just gonna invoice them. And we had all these like outstanding receivables, and it was getting out of hand. You know, we're having to cut people off or move people from invoice terms to COD terms, and they're getting upset. And the salespeople were getting upset. It was like, well, if we'd have, you know, they're a brand new customer. If we'd have told them this from day one, it wouldn't have been a problem. If, they, if they'd have just known it's COD from day one, then we could have, after, you know, 30 or 60 or 90 days, we could have surprised them and been like, hey, you guys are on account now. But the problem was this person was super trusting. Mm-hmm. And if we would have had a super cynical, or not even super, but a more skeptical person in that seat, nobody would have complained. And everybody would have been like, wow, like this person is doing a really good job. They're made for this position. But we're relying on the individual personality or propensity of that person to determine whether they're good or bad. And we were able to make this individual accountant very successful at being the credit application manager by simply building a process around it, saying, I, we know that you individually trust everybody. That's great. And feel free to do that everywhere else in life. But when it comes to approving credit applications, we need you to actually have them fill out an application. We're going to run a credit score. We're going to call a couple of trade references. And if it all checks out, then you can approve it. If it doesn't, it's not on you as a person to go back to this individual and say, I don't trust you. You're going to have to be COD. You fall back on, I'm sorry, in in our process, you're not quite there yet. We'll reevaluate it in 90 days. And I wish we could get more businesses to uh, understand where their individual people sit on these different dimensions so that they could start to wrap their head around, well, that's why I say this person's good at the job, but that's not an excuse for not having a process. Or on the other side, I see now why this person's struggling because their natural bent is kind of running against it. And we definitely have to have a process if we expect it to be good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will. I'll use them. To, I, I don't know if this is a good place to put this in, but 
we, we had a, a similar scenario or a different scenario where we had a sales team, right? So just kind of talking about another practical application of this, these dimensions. And this, one of the individuals on the sales team, uh, when you compare their, their dimension with other people, is they were very contented. So in regards to the whole sales team, pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. This one individual was contented. And they had a weekly sales meeting. And the first five minutes of the sales team meeting was everybody kind of sharing team wins, you know, company wins. But then the rest, the, the remaining 27 minutes of the sales meeting was highlighting individual efforts and, and it was all about individuals. And this person would engage in the team at orientate part of the meeting, but would so quickly disengage when everything else was, you know, who wrought to you and who wrought to you. Um, because for her, and for them, it was, it was very, it just, it, it was something that was really uncomfortable. Right. So just another area where, where as you're applying this stuff and, and understanding your team members, applying it is, is balancing the team meeting to, to be fully, just disclaim that there's, this is how the meeting's going to go. So that if you're, if you don't like the competitive part of this meeting, then you're at least aware of it. We, mm-hmm. we want to acknowledge that that we know that this is going to be a huge hiccup for you in the meeting. And I think we found that when we are able to share some of this information with an individual, like for, with that individual in particular, and you're able to say like, hey, this is why you feel, this is why you disengage. And, it, and they go, oh, like there's nothing wrong with me. That's just, now it makes sense. Right. And you, you might actually see that person begin to engage yep. because they start to see like, I realize what I'm feeling but maybe I need to think about this a little bit more and I need to engage. It's not because, um, you know, I, I want to go against the grain of my competitiveness, but I understand that this particular part of the meeting is not naturally where I'm going to have the most fun, but I, it's still important. I yeah. still need to do that. And that's yeah. kind of the lesson in all of this is that the more you know about how you're wired, about how your people are wired, the better leader you're going to be. And, uh, and if you are a leader, you, you know, you're the one that has to hold yourself accountable to some of this stuff. You got to know yourself better. So we're going to wrap up today. We're going to come back and we'll do part two and we'll focus. We'll do a deep dive on the achieving dimensions mm-hmm. and uh, give a lot more insight into what makes those folks jump into the deep end of the pool or take the steps, right? Absolutely. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.